episode 74, and I am so excited, as always, except there's a big excitement today because we have April DeValconair. I hope I didn't butcher it too badly. She is in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, and you guys know I love everything Wisconsin because I spent seven years of my life in Oshkosh. So, April, welcome to Great Woman in Fraud. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. Um, It's a great opportunity. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you took into consideration uh, to bring me on today. Oh, okay. We're going to start with word association. When you hear fraud, what do you think? Trusted abusers. Oh, I like it. Ethics. That there's not enough out there. Oh. For training purposes. And your favorite TV detective? Oh, goodness. I'd probably have to say Matlock. Oh, okay. That's, I don't think I've heard that on the show yet. Okay. And then we have our little speed round. And I think I know the answer to the first one. Are you Mac or PC? PC. Okay. Who makes better embezzlers, men or women? Women. Oh, you said that. (laughs) Wait, what'd you say? Hands down. Hands down. down. Oh my God. I love that. Hands down. Okay. What is the best money you have spent personally or professionally that, you know, just pops right into your head? I would have to say the opportunity to spend it on things outside of work. So time with my family, time with my friends, something to relax and enjoy God's blessings. And um, just, we had a call before this, April was very patient with me, but we have a um, mutual love of Australia, don't we? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm hoping that somehow we, April and I can both be speaking in Australia, maybe in 2023. I'm certainly hoping so. I know that the Australian chapter of IAFCI, the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators, is hosting a conference there in 2023, and I'm hoping that we can join them. Yeah, that would just be so incredibly awesome. Um, Okay, so April, what is your story? Give us your elevator speech. Well, as a current financial crimes investigator, I have a wide variety of backgrounds. So I am a former retail investigator. I am former law enforcement. I, I formerly worked with the courts, both civil and criminal. And I am currently a white collar crime paralegal for the district attorney's office here in southeastern Wisconsin, as well as the fact that I learned and realized how much need is out there for education and for investigations in financial in the financial realm. And so I also now own am in the founder of Fortress Financial Education. And I not only educate the general public and, you know, Uh, the older adults and college students and what have you on all the different scams that are out there. But I also teach law enforcement. I'm an adjunct professor um, for white collar crimes. And so I also investigate now. So I can work with adult protective services or law enforcement, the probate courts, when they're looking at guardianship, financial abuse, you know, all those different types of aspects. And I can help them follow the money. Really, that's what we need to do is follow the money and show where that fraud is and prove it to the courts or the jury. And so that's what I'm I'm currently doing. And I love it every day. I do what I love. And it's just amazing. 
And another backstory that April is far too kind to put in there, the FBI lost out on an amazing employee by kind of dissing her when she was so excited. And then, you know, so but it's a bonus for us, because if you had gone the FBI route, we wouldn't be talking here today. So just little little because there have been a couple of people on the show who have wanted to be in the FBI they have had amazing careers. And at some point the FBI dissed them. And I was like, come on, people, you are missing amazing people in, you know, so um, April's too kind to mention that, but I mention it because it's our benefit that they, that the FBI dropped the ball. I didn't, they didn't dish you. They just dropped the ball. So. Absolutely. But now I'm in a place that I love and I've had the opportunity to spend time with my friends and family here locally, which is amazing. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. Well, absolutely it does. Almost everything. Okay. um, First off, I was going to ask you, what is the best compliment you have ever received? But before that, I want to ask you, do you, and it's terrible to ask this, do you have a favorite case? It's like saying a favorite podcast episode or a favorite child, but do you have a favorite case that you always go back to and went, wow, and it probably led to the best compliment ever? I don't necessarily know that it's my favorite case, but I rely on a case that we have worked on um, because it was so blatant and it was so, I couldn't believe that, you know, this female caregiver who essentially had stole money from an older adult um, used the funds blatantly out of her checking account to pay for her college, her daughter's college tuition, her younger daughter's parochial schooling, uh, paid for her daughter's sorority, paid for trips out of state, you know, all of those types of things. And I think part of it is if I had not pursued my passion, then, you know, we may never have gotten a conviction in that case. And I think it was amazing to watch that particular case. So I do rely on that one a lot when I talk, uh, only because I think it was so amazing to kind of show the progression of, you know, they start off with a little bit and if they get away with it, they continue on and they continue on and they continue on until the money is gone. And we were able to convict that particular individual for four years. She went incarcerated in prison. And actually, um, about a month after her conviction, we charged her again with a second fraud of an additional $100,000 against someone else. Um, So I do share that case a lot. Um, But going back to then, you know, the best compliment, truthfully, is twofold, actually. Um, People when they tell me that they can see that I'm passionate because of what I do on a daily basis and how invested I am in my work, that is a huge compliment to me um, from that perspective and in my investigation aspects. However, I also really enjoy it when I walk into a courtroom and I have a defense attorney look at me and say, oh my goodness, you're not here on my case, are you? (laughs) Because they can't refute the reports and the the information and the spreadsheets that I've been able to provide to them. And they walk in and they decide to plead instead of proceeding to trial because of the evidence I was able to show them. Oh, yeah, that is just truly amazing. It is so incredibly black and white when you have certain type of cases like that. Money's in, you know, victim's account and it goes basically directly to the suspect's account. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And for a defense attorney to look at you and go, oh dear, gigs up, let's, you know, (laughs) that's got to put a smile on your face and not a smile on the defendant's face whatsoever. Every Um, time it does. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we also talked about this a little bit before. You work with law enforcement and you said you had you were a few minutes late because you had to explain something. And the education of law enforcement, I think, is so incredibly important because I've had a lot of people reach out to me, victims, and they're like, law enforcement says this is civil. What's your response to the it's civil? That's a struggle because truthfully, it can be civil, but it can also be criminal. And trying to help educate law enforcement so that they can see if it's one or the other or both, because it potentially could be both, I think is an enormous feat that we are trying to overcome. And so that's part of the reason I'm in a number of the organizations that I'm a part of. Um, And we actually go out in addition to I'm I'm an adjunct professor. So I actually teach law enforcement, white collar crime and elder abuse. Um, I actually am also part of other state and national and international organizations that we go out and we actually teach law enforcement what is the difference and how do they identify the difference and if they have a case or they have a referral and they're not sure who do they go to what resources can we give them then to reach out to someone else that may know better than they do but a lot of that right now what we're seeing is that education is actually going to detectives and we need it to go to the frontline patrol officers who are turning it down as a civil matter before it's even reaching our detectives Yeah, one of my biggest cases was uh, a a doctor who thought his assistant for a side business stole $400 on his um, debit, you know, credit card at Office Max or Staples. And luckily, the the patrol officer, like, it kind of was a wannabe detective and said, this doesn't really smell right. And so referred it to the fraud team. And it turned out to be a $450,000 embezzlement. And and the the victim was just like, he besides being shocked and angry and everything else, but he he honestly thought it was just a $400, you know, charge on his credit card. Right. And truthfully, that's how a lot of people get caught is they make an error. And at some point, the suspects will make an error. And that's how typically they are found. And because they have a tendency then to turn out to be much larger. We've had that a number of times with um, medical facilities or doctor's offices. We're like, you know, we have all these customers or, you know, all these clients and we don't understand why we're not making any money. And when you actually go and look at the financials, you're like, well, your bookkeeper over here or your assistant over here, um, they're siphoning off those funds for you. And that's where all your money is going. So... This is so funny that we are having this conversation today. And I'm going to pull out my phone here really quick on Against the Rules by Michael Lewis. um, This season is all about coaches. No, this season is all about experts. Last season was about coaches, experts. The expert in a medical office, Gladys, and she's in the basement and she's angry and she knows everything. It is like, I'm going to put a link to the show notes. It is such a good episode, but it's not the top. The doctor's a doctor. The doctor doesn't know pivot. Doesn't. And, and so these, it's so funny. They nicknamed her. It's a long story. You've got to listen to the episode. I just tweeted or posted on LinkedIn about it. L6. They're always in the basement and they nicknamed them Gladys. Have you ever met a Gladys? <laughs> I have through the course of our our investigations. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You uh, kind of referred to this earlier. What are some of the best resources that you recommend or that you've had help you throughout your career? 
first and foremost, I think networking is absolutely the key because if you don't have the context that you need in the fields in which you need them, you're not going to be successful. And I can tell you that through a number of organizations, IAFCI included, um, you know, we have had the opportunity of, I have, have had the opportunity to meet a number of people from all over the world. And I can tell you that I pulled them out of my back pocket, you know, just like, I, I literally, I had a particular uh, detective came in and said, Hey, I've never even heard of this financial institution. I need a contact there. I'm like, oh yeah, they're out on the East Coast. I've got a contact there, no problem. I sent him an email, you know, I and actually to go back to Australia, I had one that said, hey, I've got this run, I'm following and it went to Australia. And how do I talk to somebody in Australia? I'm like, oh, well, I know this gentleman from IFCI. I'll give you his contact information, absolutely. Although, you know, time difference. It was a little bit of a difficult communication when there's, you know, 16 hour time difference, but we made it work. You know, and so I think that aspect of it is being able to network and put yourself out there. So when you go to these conferences or when you go to these even local trainings is you obviously need to absorb all of the information you're being provided because it's important. But on those breaks or before or, or after or during lunch or whatever, you need to connect with the people because really they are your resources. <laughs> Just as a quick example is we actually had a trial. And we had a court official saying, I don't understand this particular document. And it's something that's used on a daily basis um, with a state agency. So we never thought that it was a huge issue. We'll just explain the document and be done. The court official's like, no, I want somebody from that state agency to explain to me this in court during this trial. And we literally had to stop our trial and find somebody at a state agency to explain this document to our court official before he would move on. Because of the connection, connections and the networking I had, we were able to do that. I was able to contact somebody at that state agency and they had an answer to my court official in 15 minutes and we could continue our trial and not make our jury sit there for another three days waiting for someone. So those connections are really important. And it's a matter of not just connecting at the conference, but staying in connection with them afterwards and reaching out to them and talking about other trainings or other opportunities that are out there so that they know who you are and they know that you're a resource. Well, I mean, I was just looking back through our LinkedIn. We connected like on March 25th. You talked about, you know, oh, I want to listen to your podcast. And here we are in April. And this is where I'm talking to April in April. Oh. Um, uh, but this is like is so incredibly great. And it's all the power of LinkedIn. And then I had a call last week with IAFCI about speaking at their summer conference. And unfortunately, I'm already booked, but um, it is making the connections. And actually, funny enough, I just changed my LinkedIn um, little title to say Fraud Connector, because that is where I get my biggest joy is connecting people like it's just, I go to a conference, everyone's heard about it, osmosis. I don't really do that type of work. I dabble in it. I go for the connections. And of course, you know, hanging out with amazing people, like it for Spanish tapas with Brian Willingham. Um, so it's, yeah, it's those things that I have, and I mentor a lot of people and I tell them like, get on LinkedIn, reach out. I just had someone else who's having a call with me today who took that extra step. And I think you have really done well taking that extra step. Well, thank you. Um, so the, we, you also said at the beginning, the minute details. 
so incredibly important. Cops don't become cops to play with pivot tables, do they? Except for you. (laughs) No, they do not. Um, Most of the officers or detectives that I work with are like, I don't even handle the the finances in my own home. I don't want to look at finances at work. That's not why I became a cop. So trying to find those that are willing and able and do well at it can be a struggle because there's not a lot of people out there. That's you're right. That's not why they became officers. Um, that's originally why I became an officer because I wanted to become a special agent in white collar crime. Um, but there is, they are very few and far between. Yeah, absolutely. Um, scams versus fraud. This yeah. is a, this is a thing for you. So you just go on. This is a huge thing for me because I do a lot of education and I love to educate However, everybody wants to learn about the scams and they're important. Don't get me wrong. If you don't understand what they are or how the scam works, you're more likely to become a victim of them. However, the scams in totality are really only 10% of actual financial crime fraud. It is 90% of the fraudsters are actually people that you know and trust. You know, it's the people that you work with. It's the embezzlers. It's you know, your family members, for those that have power attorney theft, when you're talking about older adults and different aspects like that. So 90% of frauds, financial fraudsters are actually people you know and trust. And that is huge. And I, anytime I have the opportunity, I want to make sure that we educate people and let them know that because I can talk to them blue in the face about the scams because there's more than enough information out there. But really, what you really need to focus on is really who do you know and trust and what safety features and security measures do you have in place to make sure that they do not even inadvertently fall to the opportunistic side of fraud? Absolutely. Um, and like I said earlier, Hollywood loves the scams, not as much as the fraud. And we right. have optimism bias. We don't think it's going to happen to us. We hire people we know, like, and trust. Like, and family members, I get victims all the time. Well, it's my niece, it's my nephew, it's my, you know, daughter-in-law. They would never. And I'm like, oh, I could show you cases all day long. Absolutely. All day long. Um, what are the things that you think people struggle with in the field of financial education? First and foremost, the numbers. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's one thing that I've always learned in, in the investigative aspect is there's one thing to reading the numbers in a report and then reading the numbers off the actual document because people are human and they transpose numbers or they, you know, accidentally, you know, put them in the wrong place or in the wrong part of the worksheet or, or whatever the case may be. And so trust but verify, essentially, you know, is making sure that, yes, this is what they're telling us okay, this is what we actually need to prove it. And do they match? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, another sort of, uh, and we, we talked about this before, is words with friends. Yes. <laughs> do you want to give a little, because episode 73 with Jane Lee had a whole thing about pig butchering and everything. And I'll have a link in the show notes to that. But Tell me, tell the audience about the story you told me when you went out to an assisted living facility. Certainly. So I had gone out and initially when we had talked about it, we were talking about phone scams and obviously that leads to a host of other things. And so at the end, we were talking about the social media scams. 
And so, you know, especially in assisted living facilities, people are not of that generation, typically don't necessarily want to ask questions while you're in the program. So they wait until afterwards and then they ask you their questions. And so I was talking for, to this very awesome young woman at the assisted living facility and she, um, she was probably in her eighties, she, but she was loving it. And she had a concern because I had brought up the fact during the presentation that, you know, you have to be careful with Facebook marketplace and our what they're trying to sell, are they actually real or is it going to a fake website or what have you? And I said, well, you have to be careful on other social media platforms as well. And I said, Word with Friends is a huge one because, you know, they have fraudsters that are intentionally out there trying to defraud somebody and they're trying to get them from that platform to, you know, a WhatsApp or, or another social media platform that they're not as familiar with so that they can try to groom them in a social engineering aspect to essentially steal their money in, in the end. And her eyes got so big and just, she was, she was just like, oh my goodness, you know, so-and-so who was sitting next to me during the program, she uses that every day and we have to go find her. We have to go talk to her. We've got to tell her right now that, you know, to be careful of this and, and that type of thing. And so, it, I mean, it was a very, I enjoy seeing that, that passion out of an older adult who's just like, I just want to tell her because I'm worried about her because I love her because I want her to be safe online and that's part of the reason that we go back to the education and being able to talk with people. And if they're aware of it, they'll watch out for it more, you know? And so, yeah, I, I have obviously issue with those types of programs, but there's good purpose for them. And, and, you know, I also know a 97 year old woman who uses that every day and she uses it to keep her mind active and it's wonderful, but she also knows I'm not getting off this platform. So no matter what somebody tells me, I'm not going to get, get off this platform to meet them somewhere else. And she knows it because we've talked to her about it. You know, and she understands the security issues with leaving that platform. Yeah, that's so funny. And my mom has pa passed, but um, <laughs> I used to joke, mom, I'm never getting you a computer because, oh, my God, she'd find that Nigerian pre prince. She'd find words with friends. She'd be going. So, um, you know, <laughs> it didn't happen because she passed before it really got big. But, yeah. Have you seen the movie I Care A Lot? I have not, but I've heard of it. I, I definitely oh. want to see it. It's on my list. You definitely have to see I Care A Lot. It will make your stomach just, ugh. Speaking of which, is there anything you're binging or that you've watched in the past that you think is really good or just like, you know, entertaining that you like? I enjoy a lot of, uh, you know, investigative type shows, but not a particular one. Uh, truthfully, I'm not a big TV watcher by any means. I'm busy with a number of other things. And so, you know, my, my, my dogs and my grandson and my, my family in general. So it's just a matter of, I, I'm not a big TV watcher. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we have all sorts of things on the podcast that you can, and I can send them to you. I have just a brand new fraud and pop culture list of uh, things and they're coming out daily. I mean, because Hollywood loves this. And like I said, they love the frauds. So what haven't I asked you that you want to get out to the listeners? I think the, the key is making sure that they have the education that they need if they don't know where it is or how to find it to reach out, to find out, you know, where those trainings might be. I know when I started in my original white collar position, um, there was no training budget. And I said, if you want me to be proficient in what I do, I need training. And they said, great, go find it. Um, and so that's what I did. And so if, if that's not your forte, you know you need it, but you don't know where to find it, reach out, ask for help. Um, because really, that's the key is, 
you have to continuously train because these types of financial crimes evolve. And so you have to keep current, you have to keep training, you have to keep educating. And I think that's the most important, um, but then finding your resources and knowing who you can trust and who you can rely on. And um, the last question before we close this out, what was the last thing you Googled before you came on this today? The last thing that I Googled was actually a, a quote that I was looking for um, from Colin Powell, because I think it's really important. Um, and if you don't mind me, I'm just gonna share it here. It's excellence is a habit. Um, if you're going to achieve excellence in big things, you develop that habit in little matters. And excellence is not an exception. It's a prevailing attitude. Oh, I love that. Oh, April, this is just wonderful. What a great way to end the episode. Thank you so, so much. And I look forward to meeting you in person in Wisconsin, but also hopefully in Australia. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me, Kelly. I really appreciate it. And thanks for recognizing me as a great woman in fraud. Oh.